Hey, pals. This week, Invisibilia, the show about the invisible forces that shape human behavior, is looking at the bias concepts in our heads and whether it's possible to change them. You'll meet the people who designed the Implicit Associations Test, a support group in Southern California called Racists Anonymous, and a young black police officer trying to train his fellow officers and himself to combat prejudice. You can listen to Invisibilia in the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, before we start, how's about you go review us in iTunes? Seriously, just go to iTunes and tell us what you think. It really, really helps other very attractive listeners such as yourself find the show. So thanks. Now, let's start the show. A couple of years ago, Billie Jean Sturwalt and Vladek Ravich landed in the same expat bar in Tbilisi in the Republic of Georgia. Billie was working at a research company there. And then like two days a week, I would bartend at this like dirty kind of like smoke-filled poorly ventilated expat bar named dive bar because you know super original and vladik was on a fulbright scholarship studying agriculture in the south caucasus you know fulbrights are really flexible and uh so agriculture i'd sort of done my piece on that and it wasn't as exciting as possible so both were casting about for a new challenge and the project they landed on a podcast of course. I think, you know, like most things in Georgia, like it started with alcohol. Naturally. He was like, oh, I really want to do this podcast. And I said, oh, you know, I did like some radio when I was younger, which really just meant like my terrible ex-boyfriend from when I was 17 was a big fan of Prairie Home Companion. And we did like a Prairie Home Companion knockoff at our community theater. So emboldened by Georgian vodka and Billy's experience in community theater, the pair began their project. They called it Taxi Taxi, the podcast that drives too fast. You don't have to translate taxi. Like at least at least in the languages that we know and speak, it's just always taxi. I'm Lauren Ober and from WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts that you might not have ever heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. And this week, we figured we'd take a look at perhaps the only podcast to come out of the Republic of Georgia. Think of it as kind of a Georgian This American Life. That's, re- that's really like the only way that I actually can describe our show to people. <laughs> In the first season of Taxi Taxi, Billy and Vladik did all kinds of stories about local Georgians, including one about a cowboy crooner named Shota Adamashvili, who taught himself English from American country western songs. I'm a Georgian country singer. This is not a state. This is a small and lonesome country between two landscapes. Is it Europe or even Asia? It's not worth mentioning. People don't even understand what kind of music I sing. We'll hear more from the caucuses in a minute. But first, let's turn our attention to another show that deals with international issues also domestic issues. Really, anything that pops up in the news is fair game for The Daily, the new podcast from The New York Times. 
From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. The Daily is hosted by veteran print journalist Michael Barbaro. Today, Obama and Trump. Two newly revealed stories about the transition of power from one president to the next. The idea of the show is simple, but brilliant. It's a 20-minute dive into the previous day's news, five times a week, available by 6 a.m. every weekday. That Obama wiretapped his communications during the campaign. Michael Barbaro, host of The Daily, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you for having me, Lauren. All right, Michael, I need to check in with you, see how you're doing. I feel like this... Uh, this podcast is a huge hustle to get this out every day, and I'm concerned about you. You're concerned about my health? I'm concerned about your mental state because you are putting out a podcast that comes into my feed every day by 6 a.m., uh, and you are following the, um, the, the the crazy news cycle that feels like a roller coaster I can't get off of. It is a roller coaster, and producing a daily show is extremely time-consuming. So as with any startup, we are a bit sleep-deprived, but we have started to figure out how to tame this beast of a daily show that's attempting to make sense of pretty much one of the most complicated Mm -hmm. and difficult to make sense of moments Mm -hmm. in my Mm -hmm. lifetime. So why don't you describe the daily for me? Because I feel like it's it's both totally innovative and really obvious at the same time. And I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't think of it. (laughs) Well, I think the reason that you may not have thought about it is that you don't work in a newsroom of 1,100 journalists who are the best sourced, best talkers, best thinkers in the world. Um, And I say that as a boast, but also a reality that I think what we're doing requires that infrastructure. So mm-hmm. you asked what the show what the show is. We had an instinct that people wanted a different kind of news show. The form of our storytelling is what we call narrative news. And we're going to take you on a journey. You're going to understand a subject two or three a day in a way you hadn't before. And It's going to feel immersive. You're going to have a lot of context. And it's going to be different than a headline where there's a lot of assumptions about what you understand. And I think that's one of the kind of interesting challenges of journalism in this moment. There's so much to keep up with that it's actually pretty hard to understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. And every day we try to take a few really naughty K-N-O-T-T-Y. Yes. Messy issues. You learn in audio that certain words just don't translate. <laughs> and and we're going to really break them down. And just as importantly to me and to everyone involved in The Daily as breaking them down, we're going to make you hear from people. We're going to allow you to hear from people you're not hearing enough from. And that's the other kind of crisis of this moment is that people are in their lanes and they're not talking to, I'd argue enough people who are outside their lanes. And in our in our first episode, it was the night, because this is an era where every night feels overwhelmingly newsy. Uh, Neil Gorsuch was announced as Donald Trump's first Supreme Court pick. It's 8 p.m. on Tuesday night in the East Room of the White House. You've seen this room before. There's a red carpet leading to an empty podium with a presidential seal. Republicans sit on either side of the aisle. The Democrats are boycotting the event. 
the media waits. The clock strikes 8.02 and out walks President Trump. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. We wanted to talk to our colleague Adam Liptak, who is an extraordinarily knowledgeable student of the Supreme Court, about that choice. And then we wanted you to hear from the founder of Hobby Lobby, who is an arts and crafts store that sued the American government over the requirements for contraception uh, that were a part of the Affordable Care Act. Hello? Mr. Green, it's Michael Barbaro from the New York Times. How are you? Yes. Go ahead. How can I help you? In calling him up, I could tell, and listeners could also tell, that he was skeptical of having a conversation with the New York Times. And he was telling us that he believed that our kind of news media wasn't willing to tell his story. And I don't see you telling them that the public that we pay two-thirds of the people's insurance, that our minimum wage for full-time people is $15.35, that we have a clinic that takes care of everybody's health for free that has our insurance. That way you guys won't write because it doesn't fit your narrative, does it? Well, the beauty of audio is that you're saying it and our listeners are hearing it. So I promise you that we I am hearing it and we're going to make sure that people understand it. There's another episode I'm thinking of where you talk to a farmer in California who That's I believe right. was a was a Trump voter, but then was also worried about what this refugee immigration ban was um, or how it was going to affect his business, which I think is sort of surprising because, like you said, those are the people that we're not exactly hearing from. Yeah, that farmer was grappling in your ear on our show with the contradictions that he acknowledged existed in his life at this moment. You know, I'm still very optimistic that we will be, we are going, we will be, we are heading in the right direction. I'm not going to say there's not some anxiety that comes along, but uh, yeah, you know, when I see him essentially uh, filling his commitment, building a wall on the border and, uh, suggesting he's going to put more ICE officers in the field and uh, potentially doing more documentation checks. Uh, that worries me because I need a steady, strong labor supply. So, Do you worry uh, that he could ultimately deport some of your workers and force them out uh, of the country? I mean, that you know, it could very well happen. I don't believe it's going to happen. I believe he understands uh, the importance of migrant labor to California and California agriculture. So I don't believe so. But only time will tell. Even just hearing from him for um, for five minutes or something, you're getting a perspective that you that you might not have thought of. You know, it, you don't need to be beaten over the head with it. Five minutes will do to to give you just that window into somebody else's experience um, uh, that is part of a much larger discussion in this country. I think that's right, and I think. That's something that Times is good at and that this show is able to showcase and then to bring to life in a, in a really different way. I mean, I've been a print journalist, print and digital journalist for about 15 years. And the really special power of audio is, is that these people are so intimately in your life. You're hearing, they're hearing the gaps and the ums and the quivers in their voice when they're uncertain of something or when they're quite certain of something. And it's a very singularly powerful way of experiencing the news and the world. And, and I love it. 
I wonder, you know, from a, from a personal perspective, I mean, you've been a reporter for a while. You most recently a national political reporter for The Times. Right. And um, and and I wonder, you know, you and your um, brethren are getting attacked on a regular basis. You are, we are. you are the failing New York Times, um, apparently, allegedly, from this, according to uh, the president. You know, you're you're publishing fake news, and I wonder how it affects you personally as a reporter um, to be living this time where you are are absolutely the enemy of the administration. I don't think that the president or the administration really views the media as the enemy. And I don't, I certainly don't think that we view that relationship as an enemy relationship Mm -hmm. at all, like full stop period. Um, And I think when you really understand, and if you listen to the the daily, you'll know how often the president is talking on the phone with times reporters. And Mm -hmm. as for what it's like to be a journalist under attack, you know, when I covered Donald Trump, I wrote a lot of investigative stories in the campaign about his relationship with women, about his business practices. And at one point, he tweeted that I should resign. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about dissonance. Uh, <laughs> a few weeks after his election, I sat in a boardroom here at the New York Times during an editorial meeting, right. and we shook we shook hands. Right. And he, he said, how are you doing? And I think you need to ask yourself lots of questions about your assumptions and is what I'm seeing exactly what's really going on or is there a lot more going on and do I need to listen to the daily to figure it out? The answer is yes. <laughs> so everyone subscribe to your paper, your local or your national paper. Could uh, not agree more. I subscribe, to, <laughs> I subscribe to three of them. It's worth every cent. Right. Also, you know, be a member of your public radio station. Just saying. Absolutely. Michael Barbaro of The Daily from The New York Times. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us. Thank you very much. Love your show. And I wish you well. Michael Barbaro is the host of The Daily from The New York Times. To find out more about the show, check out our website, biglisten.org, for details. Remember our pals Vladik and Billy from the top of the show? They host the sort of This American Life of the Republic of Georgia. But why Georgia? I'm pretty sure most Americans could not find it on a map. The fact that no one's really heard of it, or if they have, it's usually in some confused, like, you know, which Georgia or, you know, combining the country names or something. I mean, that's the fun of it for me. I think people want to not be ignorant of stuff. And so by having this topic that is obscure but that everyone knows they kind of like should know something about i think that gets our foot in the door of of someone's you know brain <laughs> but taxi taxi isn't just about getting listeners to know more about the region it's actually helping explain billy and vladik's experiences to their friends and family who can't possibly understand what exactly this place is where they lived i, I just had this problem today because i just moved back to the states and i started a new job and somebody asked me, like, I have this weird scar on my hand. I'm like, oh, where'd you get it from? And it's this weird story from Georgia. And it's like you have to stop, like, every 10 seconds to be like, oh, and by the way, in Georgia, they do this and blah, 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 blah. And the traffic's like this and it smells like this. And, like, you know, this post-Soviet mentality. And, like, so you're constantly having to stop and, like, create this world. And it sort of makes 
everybody who interacts there into a really unique kind of storyteller. We'll check in with Vladik and Billy later about where they're going for season two of Taxi Taxi. Hint, it ends in Stan. And we'll hear from comedians Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher about the very unique experience of co-starring in a TV show with your spouse. But first, we're going to dive into the stories behind some of the world's most famous works of art. In my opening episode, I interviewed a guy who said, you know, when I was in kindergarten, we all accidentally made Mondrian's. It's not that exciting. That's coming up in a sec. Don't go anywhere. This is NPR. Support for NPR and the following message comes from Exxon and Mobil, the exclusive fuel partners of the Plenty Rewards Program. 500 points is worth at least $5 in savings. You can pick up a Plenty card at an Exxon or Mobil branded station and start earning points right away. Hi there, Lauren. This is Andrew. I'm calling from... Honolulu, Hawaii. The podcast that uh, I want you to know about is called Offshore. It's about um, a killing in Waikiki, or at least that's what season one is. At 2.37 in the morning, Eldertz is right in front of the registers at McDonald's, and he's hassling another customer, white guy named Mikkel Perrine. Perrine's wasted. He's unsteady on his feet. He can't find his cash. He'll testify later that at first he didn't remember a single thing that's about to happen. Uh, I think it does an excellent job. It's a little serial-esque, but also really quite awesome. Um, and especially for people that are interested in the kind of dynamic in the United States between minority and majority or people with power and people without power. Cool. Thank you. Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and you should call me. Well, not me. Don't call me. But you should call the pod line and tell me what I should be listening to. The number is 202-885-POD1. Seriously, let's chat. I mean, well, you and our voicemail, but you know what I mean. Just call. When I was in college, I took an art history class. And every time the professor turned off the lights to run through the slideshow paintings or sculptures, I fell asleep. Every single time. Invariably, my notebook would be covered in drool. Which is gross, I know, but true. Anyway, so when I heard that art historian Tamar Avishai was making a podcast about great works of art, I was dubious. Would it be just like a snooze fest slideshow, but for the ears? This is The Lonely Palette. The podcast that returns art history to the masses, one painting at a time. I'm Tamara Vishai. Fame in an art museum is kind of a funny thing. Like celebrities, there are some paintings that are the Kardashian paintings, the ones that are famous for being famous. And oftentimes, once you see them up close, it can be, not surprisingly, kind of a letdown. They're smaller and less remarkable than you expected. Or the gallery is too okay, crowded. Okay, it hasn't put and me to like sleep yet. I am still awake now. But let's see if I stay awake for the interview. Just kidding. Of course I will, because I'm a profesh, you know. Tamar Abishai, host of The Lonely Palette, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. 
Okay, so first, you're doing a podcast all about art. Art is a visual medium. Podcasting is not. It is an aural medium. Are you out of your mind? I'm just wondering. It's it's actually, it's interesting because on the one hand, people are used to um, looking at art with audio guides. So oh. it's not totally nuts to imagine that, that you could make a podcast about art and maybe hope that somebody actually stands in front of the painting while they're listening to it. Mm-hmm. But in order to get around um, whether or not they can actually see the image, um, I like to have people describing the image at mm-hmm. the beginning of every episode. Uh, I see all sorts of shades of brown and some gray. Um, it looks somewhat architectural. If I didn't know the title, I would think that it was a painting of a city in the rain. Yeah, I see an office building and I see a window. I don't know, it looks like, kind of like clouds passing in the sky a lot of it, so. You know, very Picasso, but it's very confusing, <laughs> you know. So I will, I will walk up to somebody and, you know, ask them if they're comfortable talking about art on tape, which no one is. And so I have to be really kind of careful in my approach and my pitch in order to um, get them to feel comfortable and know that they can't give me a wrong answer, which is really important in right. talking about art. Um, it's really helpful to have somebody at the beginning say, well, you know, I'm looking at this Monet and this the texture of this painting looks like a sponge. <laughs> and it's right. like it takes something that could be really snooty and scary and makes it really just kind of colloquial and comfortable when you start talking in those kinds of associations. And right. so already that kind of description, whether you can see the image or not, makes the listener a little bit more comfortable. Right, right. So the the tagline of your show is is basically returning art history to the masses. But was art history ever for the masses? Because I feel like it's very, it's a lot of white guys, a lot of Europeans. Um, I'm wondering, you know, will, will, will we ever hear from a lady uh, or somebody who isn't white? I mean, I realize this is, you know, this is sort of the the academy um but uh you know is is that something that you think about when you're doing this work yes absolutely um i got a very white male european education Mm -hmm. um and even it's it's so funny i mean i don't feel that old but even in the 15 years since i graduated college the department that i was in has offered so many more non-Western art courses that I just didn't get a chance to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm definitely most comfortable in the time and, and period and you know artists that I've been uh, doing the episodes on so far. Mm-hmm. But I'm also finding that in order to really dive into more contemporary artists and and stretch out from beyond the white male discourse, mm-hmm. uh, it helps to have that foundation because art history was founded by white men. Why do I need to know what Mondrian's composition with red, yellow, and blue from 1927 is all about? Like, can't I just look at it and be like, oh, a bunch of squares with some colors, like, cool. You know, the thing is, a Mondrian doesn't exist in a vacuum. People 
I think look at a Mondrian and if they don't know anything about it or they don't really understand it, they still recognize it because it's really iconic. Mm -hmm. And then they just think, how is this art? Right. You know, I could have done this. My seven-year-old could do this. In <laughs> fact, actually, in my in my opening episode, I interviewed a guy who said, you know, when I was in kindergarten, we all accidentally made Mondrians. <laughs> you know, it's not that exciting. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived at pure abstraction. What is abstraction? Well, to be honest, it's easier to ask what abstraction isn't because it has a tendency to be defined not by what it is, but by what it lacks. And what it lacks is pretty much everything art is supposed to have, at least up until the 19-teens. So let's empty this suitcase item by item. Abstraction, in its purest state, has no overt narrative, it has no represented object, it has no emotional content, it has no facture or evidence of the artist's hand. It has no hierarchy or a fore, middle, or background telling us where to enter and what to look at first. Heck, most times it doesn't even have a title. And it's fascinating to think about what paintings... That and a lot of times, if you walk around a contemporary gallery, it's like you're just going from object to object to object that is that feels like it's trying to outsmart you somehow mm -hmm. and like it's daring you to care about something that might at first glance be so absurd or or just kind of unyielding of mm -hmm. anything that that you feel like you can kind of grab onto mm -hmm. but then you know you read the wall text or you listen to the audio guide or you have a, a docent with you and suddenly uh, again like the Mondrian it just kind of breaks open and you start to really understand that the art of the 20th century needed to move on from the kinds of paintings that really tell the story to you mm -hmm. and you just kind of sit as a passive listener mm -hmm. it becomes art that art that starts to solve all sorts of new kinds of problems mm -hmm. because we know we can paint a realistic looking world on a two-dimensional canvas you know like we've done it so now we can start to attack all of these other little issues about what it is to be a subjective thinking human being and you don't have to solve every one of those problems in one image in one artwork in this, I, I, I have to say, I almost felt guilty, like, listening to all of your your episodes because I'm thinking, oh, I should be I should be listening to something about the news right now. You know, like, like it is, almost, though. I mean, in, if you listen to the episode on Kirshner. Right. And, you know, what happens when the government takes over art or cuts funding to it? I mean, you know, you you really do get a sense of how close these artists are to the politics of their moment and what we can learn from them right now, actually. The war against modern art in Nazi Germany came to a head in the 1937 Degenerate Art Exhibition, or Entartete Kunst. 650 works of art by 112 artists, some Jewish, all modernist, and 25 just by Kirchner alone, were plundered from museums across Germany. But rather than destroy this art, which would have been the easiest thing to do, 
Goebbels brilliantly decided instead to mount an exhibition with the explicit aim of using its emotional power against itself. How? Well, almost 2.9 million Germans, an average of 20,000 per day, came to point and laugh at these paintings. Because every conceivable element of the exhibition was grossly manipulated to ensure that a viewer would come away disgusted. So the, the episode on Ernst Ludwig Kirchner's reclining nude mm-hmm. is about German Expressionism and its origins, but then also what happened to it in Weimar Germany and then eventually in Nazi Germany when the government cracked down on all of these modern artists who were making people feel so much, you know, this mm. really raw art that was so authentic. And what the Nazis did alongside that was they... Uh, mounted their own exhibition called the Great German Art Exhibition, where all of their favorite artists really tried to mirror Renaissance art, kind of, or mirror uh, ancient Greek art of, you know, strength and, and this thousand year Reich. Unfortunately for them, though, the art sucked. The objects in the bright, airy exhibition hall were a derivative, inert stab at classical antiquity alluding, ironically, to that renaissance that Germany never had. Nude, prepubescent girls painted with sterile realism, sculptures of bulked-up, soulless, meathead supermen. Just as naked as the Expressionists, but completely unsexy. No heat, no empathy, and no visitors. Barely anyone came, relatively speaking. A puny 420,000 Germans came to the Great German Art Exhibition, nearly five times fewer than went to see degenerate art. And the exhibition closed, quietly embarrassed, later that year. Even Hitler was disappointed with it. And nobody talks about it. It barely has its own Wikipedia entry today. It's like the only silver lining to this story, because it's one thing to take really good art and spin it so that people feel affected by it negatively. You know, that that worked. But it's another thing to take art that has absolutely no historical precedent and no real kind of basis in reality or or anybody's personal kind of authentic feelings and expect people to be drawn to it. And they just weren't. Mm -hmm. And I think that that actually can say a lot about the power of art to make a a really powerful political statement. Tamar Abishai is the host of the podcast, The Lonely Palette, which is affiliated with the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. To find out more about her show, check out our website, biglisten.org. It's time for another lightning fast break, but when we come back, We'll talk to comedians Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher about the particular challenges of working with your spouse. No, it's, I would say it's, it's uh, nearly killing us because it is very hard. We spend a lot of time together. We spend together. so much time together. That's coming up next. Stick around. This is NPR. Hey y'all, Sam Sanders here. These days I feel like I can't make sense of the news until I've talked it out with my friends. 
so i made a new show where we do that every week it's called it's been a minute that's my way of saying let's catch up our first episode is out this friday evening june 23rd check it out it's been a minute on the npr one app or wherever you get your podcast thanks My name is Claudia, and I'd like to recommend a podcast called Our Paradoxica. It's a time travel story told in a sort of Cold War-bound uh, footage. Um, but the cool thing is that it really takes time travel seriously. So there I am on the day of the test, and my hands are shaking with anticipation as I placed the test mass, a kilogram of platinum, on a pedestal in the center of the array. As the array began to spool up... Vibration knocked the cylinder onto the floor. I left the observation room to go put it back on its pedestal. I remember one of my assistants asking if I wanted them to stop the test. I told them not to waste time letting the generator spin down and then back up. At times it can be really serious, but it's just some of the most compelling audio fiction out there. Um, It's called Ars Paradoxica. Thank you. Hey pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I want to love on the same podcast you're loving on. So give me a ring on the pod line and tell me what's up. The number is 202-885-POD1. Operators are standing by. I can't even get the whole thing out without laughing. I mean, there are no operators. It's just a voicemail, but call anyway. (laughs) All right, friends. It's that time again. We call Listen Up, and it's the part of the show where we grill some pretty cool folks about what podcasts they are listening to these days. And today, we are lucky enough to have not one, but two cool folks on the show to give us all the hot scoops. Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher are comics who are gay and married to each other and have a stand-up show. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, I know. I know, because the best practice is, like, you can have two hosts, but if they're men. Right, well, yeah. Or twins. I mean, but then I'm like, (laughs) better men. These guys have some perspectives here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But we're both lesbians, so it's like, isn't, don't we see things the same way? You know, but but actually, no, because I actually see you, because I'm looking out of my eyes. Right, yeah. And I don't have a jacket on, and you do have a jacket on. Yes. And that stand-up show is also a podcast called Put Your Hands Together with Cam and Rhea. But then the pair also co-star on a TV sitcom. It's called Take My Wife, LOL, about two comics who are gay and married to each other and have a stand-up show and a podcast. Got it? Okay, good. Our TV show. Who show is having sex? Oh, yeah, like a lot. Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher, welcome to The Big Listen. Yay. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thanks for having us here. Did you bring your dog in? Tell me, did you bring your dog in? We didn't. He's actually at home. I'm so, I'm so sorry. That was the but that we... was the whole basis of my interview was just going to be about your dog. So now I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to wing it. So okay. I mean, we can still talk about him even though he's not here. <laughs> yeah, it's a podcast. We can pretend he's here. Tell me your dog's name. Our dog's name is Murph. I mean, it's his name is Murphy, but we call him Murph primarily. Murph is just he's a spunky dude. He's okay. a spunky dude, and you want to yell at his name at him. 
Sup, Murph. Murph. We, yeah, it's very soothing. We think that the only thing he ever says inside of his brain is that he introduces himself <laughs> to people. He's very Trust friendly. me, if you could look in his eyes, you'd be like, that is what he's thinking. That's what he's thinking all the time. So um, I'm glad we got into your personal life right off the bat. Um, gonna gonna shift here, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, first of all, this is Cameron. Oh, hey, Cameron. This is Rhea. I just okay. want to start the These podcast by voices. doing that because... There's a thing where people can't tell women's voices apart. That is true. That is true. And I'm Lauren, I mean, just in case anyone's wondering. Yeah. People still... are going to comment on the post of this show that still say, I still can't tell. You guys are right now in the middle of writing your second season of your TV show, Take My Wife. Why don't you give us a little quick hit about what the show is? Well, um... Oh, this is Cameron, first of all. I'll just reintroduce myself. Oh. Hi, I'm Murph. Hi, I'm Murph. Um, <laughs> our show is about, it's about two female, queer female stand-ups um, named Cam and Rhea who are in a relationship with each other. And the characters are played by us. We play the characters. And it's kind of a stretch. It sounds like it. A... You know what I mean? I use the method. You know, yep. I had to go have breakfast with Jodie Foster just over and over again. <laughs> That's a very specific reference to Taxi Driver. But anyway. Keep going, Cameron. I for like a, someone I, will laugh. I at that. don't know what you were just talking about. And for a minute, I thought you'd had a bunch of breakfast. I with mean, Jody I wish Foster I had. That you didn't invite me to. Yeah, I wouldn't Which invite I was you like, to it. Wait, straight up, how did I not even? If know? I was having breakfast with Jodie Foster, lesbians, you better believe that so all the time. I'm not taking you with me. <laughs> we're never apart. When that happens, it's just going to be me and Jodes, and that's it. So there's a live show that we host here on Tuesday nights at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and then that show. It becomes a podcast. Put your hands together. So we're right. We just started yesterday uh, writing, and it's super fun um, because we're the bosses, and so I like that part of it. It's cool. And then also we have a all female writers' room. Is Blano. So we're just having a bunch of periods all at once. The world that we've created in the show, Cam and Rhea have a stand-up show that they host. Oh, um, how do you so keep it all So there's a lot straight. of different layers. Uh, no, we don't keep we it straight don't keep at, it straight. at all. Hey, no. Not one bit. You're welcome. Uh, no, it's. I would say it's it's uh, nearly killing us because <laughs> it is very hard. We spend a lot of time together. We spend together. so much time together. Well, so there is there's the, there's a moment in um, in the first season of Take My Wife where Cam's character Cam is talking to <laughs> comedian Maria Bamford about dating another comedian, and Maria's um, reaction is great. She basically cringes and tries to tries to like backstep out of that. So Rhea's your girlfriend? Yeah, and my co-host on the show. Oh, you're both comics. Yikes! I mean, I mean, this is great. There's um, a lot of built-in competition and... Oh, it doesn't come up. We don't ever talk about that. I'm so excited. But did you, did either of you cringe at the idea of dating another comic? And obviously at the time, you didn't know that your lives would be so deeply intertwined. Um, but were you both like, ooh, no, bad idea? Well, we actually met, Cameron and I met doing stand-up. Um, she had this amazing open mic in Chicago that was like literally around the corner from my house. And I'd been going to it and watching it and wanting to try stand-up forever. <laughs> and then I, like, did stand-up there. And she got to, like, bring me up the first time I ever did stand-up. And then 
She was like my mentor. So yeah, I was like, I can't I date my it. mentor. I knew it was one of those. When I met Rhea, immediately, I just thought I wanted to work with her. I think, first of all, I was not understanding that I was attracted to her. <laughs> just mm. a very funny thing. Where I was just like, hey, we should like have a business together. <laughs> we would sort of have these very long phone calls about like web series and podcasts and things that we wanted to do down the line, which, by the way, ended up being true. Like, I think we thought, I don't know, at the time it all felt very pie in the sky. Like, I don't know, we were planning something that felt like, I don't know, maybe we'll do this. And then that is actually what happened. Yeah. Are there ever any days, uh, you know, when you're, say, shooting yes. your show where, <laughs> where you're like, <laughs> sorry. Where you're like, man, my co-star is such a diva. I think we both think that all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it just... But but everybody is a diva. Like when you're trying to do it it's difficult because we're you know, we're talking about our lives and, and it's 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 stressful. I mean, we're women who do this job and this job is asking for attention mm-hmm. and asking to be the the boss and asking to be the one speaking. And that is still something that in our country and in our culture we're pretty uncomfortable with generally. Mm-hmm. If I, if there's a day I think Rhea's annoying or a diva or whatever our problems are with each other, there's never a day where I am not on her side. Right. Oh, thank you. So you guys have made a few podcasts together now. And I wonder if you also listen to podcasts either together or separately, whatever. Um, but yeah, do you do you guys are you consumers of the medium? So much. I am, yes, almost constantly. I listen to books on tape also. I listen Cute. to things very, very much. <laughs> uh, I like to go on long, long hikes by myself and listen to things. This is adorable. Uh, I don't even I don't even know if you listen to podcasts. Well, I'll answer when you're done. I just realized <laughs> that, though. I don't have no idea. Well, guess what you're going to find out. Oh, my God. I'm <laughs> on the edge of my chair. Are you... I feel Were like you I'm make any recommendations, you. Like, Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron just wanted to let us know that yes, in fact, she like, does listen. Yes, she does. <laughs> Moving on. Um, well, first of all, I'm I'm assuming a lot of your listeners probably have listened to my dad wrote a porno. I don't know how I'd feel if my dad wrote porn. I don't know how I'd feel if anyone I knew wrote porn. Weirdly, I don't feel that weird about it, which people are quite surprised about. Well, when evidently, I you're like broadcasting it. I'm so. loving it. I th- well. A friend of mine, he recommended the show to us, and it was, like, in October or something, and I just, like, didn't need it yet. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was just like, I don't know. We're about to have a female president. Goodbye, my dad wrote a porno. I don't care. Um, and then the, after the election, I just needed, like, I needed silliness, mm-hmm. and uh, I needed sexual situations to be <laughs> sp- spoken in a very beautiful British accent uh, that were very funny in my ears while I'm in public. Rhea, do you have uh, do you have a similar theme to your podcast listening? Do you listen? Actually, we don't know if you do yet. <gasps> Drum roll, please. Reveal. Yes, I do. <laughs> and some shows I've been listening to recently are Two Dope Queens. Uh huh. There was a great episode uh, with one of their moms <laughs> that was really great that I enjoyed a lot. Guys, gals, gender nonconforming individuals, our special guest is somebody that I know really well and that I've known possibly for the longest time that I've ever known anybody on this planet. This person taught me how to speak and say ignorant things. Just kidding. She just taught me how to speak. (laughs) Give it up for my mom. A.K.A. Maria. Maria, please say hi. Hi, two dope queen listeners. Oh my Aww, god, that was so, so cute. cute. And then I listened to MTV's The Stakes, 
And my pal Jamil Smith, fellow name Cleveland Durfer. Cavaliers uh, fan, uh, did a, a really great interview with one of my current heroes, uh, Rep Maxine Waters. Oh, and her, right. Her work. Uh, in the resistance right now, and yeah. uh, it, I, I highly recommend listening to that episode. It's really great. Her star is ascending at the moment, if for no other reason than she is just shading left, right, and center. I think that Trump has stepped over the line, uh, colluding uh, with uh, Putin and the Kremlin, and I think that for the very patriotic members of Congress, even the more conservative ones that I don't get along with, they don't like the fact that he may have been involved in undermining our democracy. That is serious. And so if the investigations are done properly... and if Oh, yeah. She's just like, I, I will give you five words why I didn't will not attend the joint address. I do not respect the president. <laughs> Those are my five words. Exactly. Maxine Waters out. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> I mean, all of those are amazing recommendations. We're so grateful that you gave them to us and so grateful that you took the time out of your busy schedule, the writer's room, with your second season of your show, Take My Wife on CISO. Thank you, guys, Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher, uh, for hanging out with us. It was so much fun. Yeah, this was so great. Thanks for having us. Cameron Esposito and Rhea Butcher are the hosts of the podcast, Put Your Hands Together with Cam and Rhea. To find out more about their show or any of the shows they recommended, hit up our website, biglisten.org. It's got the links. We have almost reached the end of this week's episode, but before we let you go, it's time for Chartography. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. We're not looking at number one or even number 100. No, no, no. We are looking at number 289, and in this rapidly expanding universe of podcasts, 289 is really amazing. You're winning if you're 289, really, frankly, in my personal opinion. So this week's 289 is a podcast cheerily titled The Serial Killer Podcast. It's actually, I don't know why I'm laughing, because it's not funny at all. It's not a comedy podcast. It's actually a podcast about people who kill other people. It's hosted by a Norwegian man named Thomas Viborg Thun. Um, he does, though, kind of sound the way that I think a serial killer would sound. Fantasizing about murder. In the podcast, Thomas Viborg Thun says that it is the podcast dedicated to serial killers. Which makes me feel like it's just for serial killers or like he's doing them a favor or something like that. It's a little bit creepy. It might be, um, you know, might, he might want to rephrase that. Just a thought. So the, the episode that I listened to was about um, a man named Elias, most commonly called Eli. Uh, at some point he was um, diagnosed as um, a psychotic person. Uh, and then... <laughs> And somehow, somebody gave him a job in a mental hospital in Virginia. The Piedmont Behavioral Health Center in Leesburg. And then, apparently, uh, in 2009, um, he, he stabbed a friend in the neck. No bigs. The friend survived. And then a couple of years later, he, um, he stabbed 20 people in Flint, Michigan, and five of them died. Anyway, if you are interested in uh, the interior lives of people who kill lots of people... You know, I guess this is the podcast for you. Serial Killer Podcast.
Thank you, dear listener. You want to listen to The Big Listen on the go? Well, guess what, friends? You can. Just go to iTunes or NPR One or any fine purveyor of podcasts and hit subscribe. Then we'll be creeping into your feed every week automatically. You don't even have to lift a finger. You're welcome. As always, we love us some listener feedback. So please like us on Facebook and or follow us on Twitter. We're at Here Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R, Big Listen. So follow us. We're tremendous. We're huge. I used that joke last week. I got to get a new one. Uh, if you want to send love notes our way, please do. Our electronic mail address is biglisten at wamu.org. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenson and Ponce Rutch. And because it was International Women's Day and hashtag day without a woman, I, Lauren Ober, was doing nothing in solidarity with my sisters. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man, J.J. Yore, and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a few final thoughts from our pals Vladik Ravich and Billy Jean Sturwalt about making podcasts in far-flung places. Specifically, Kyrgyzstan, where season two of Taxi Taxi will take place. And I challenge you to find that on a map. I always wanted to go to Central Asia and I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, well, that would be really cool for this show. Like we would be learning on tape. I think it's obscure in just the right way for Taxi Taxi also. Uh, like it's just it's not even loaded or unloaded. It's it's just a place you probably have trouble pronouncing when you see it on paper. Right. Well, there's um, only one there's only one vowel. So that's pretty hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> But again, same thing. Like, I think the season will show this. It's, you know, completely contemporary and completely ancient and and all that stuff. I'm hoping that this keeps going. And my idea is to just do it wherever I feel like traveling, like not have it be post-Soviet or or anything like that. Just like anywhere interesting that I want to go. Oh, Vladik, I haven't told you this yet, but I'm going to Lebanon in October. I'm hoping that maybe Taxi Taxi season three will be, we'll have at least one episode from Lebanon. I mean, you don't have to ask me twice. We could work with that. Yeah, we can, we can leave the Soviet Union behind. <laughs> but we will never leave you behind, regardless of what distant land you come from. Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR. Well, I see that you're still here. So you might as well make yourself useful. How about you hop on over to iTunes and drop us a little review? Seriously, your reviews really, really help other very attractive listeners such as yourselves find the show. And you want to spread the love, don't you? (laughs) So head on over to iTunes, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks.